0: Well, good morning again, everybody. Oh, I feel much better than I did last week. I'll tell you that. Uh, My throat's still a little scratchy, and so I've been drinking lots of tea, staying hydrated. There's a bug going around, other than the bug that we all know about. But uh, I'm so glad that you're here. And if you're joining us for the first time at our church, welcome. Welcome to Afraid of Foursquare Church. Like I said before, my name is Blake, and I'm the lead pastor here And uh, it's been a little over a year now since I've been here in Afreda, and uh, I'm loving it. I love that we had some snowfall. And uh, we're in a series, a Christmas series, called Do You See What I See? The tendency when we read the Christmas story, and this is a struggle for a lot of pastors. I mean, ask. there's some pastors who love talking about the Christmas story, uh, but for me personally, it's a struggle. And the reason that it's a struggle to talk about the Christmas story is because it's something that we all know. So, so well, we've heard this story so many times that we often gloss over some of the special nuances and those things that God wrote into the story for you and me. And so we're doing this series, we're trying to see the Christmas story from the perspective of different characters in the Bible. The first week we talked about the Christmas story from the perspective of the shepherds, that that God chose that the first people to hear the message of Jesus' birth were lowly shepherds in the middle of a field, Uh, And that's who God chose to share his message to, first of all. Last week, we talked about Christmas from Mary's perspective and how she trusted what God had said in the midst of trial and adversity and a really hard, difficult season of her life where she is giving birth to a baby. She's pregnant and she's unwed. That would have been a very difficult season for her, but she trusted in what God had said. And today, we're going to talk about the Christmas story from the perspective of the Magi, or the wise men. Now I love Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. And I remember when I was younger. My dad. My mom and my dad. On Christmas morning. Would, would wake us up at like 6.30am. And bring us out to the living room. And there would still be a lot of sleep in our eyes. And as we're rubbing the sleep off of our eyes. We'd look and we'd see all these presents. Scattered underneath the tree. And uh, then my dad would say. Shh, you guys hear that? You guys hear that? And we would listen and we'd hear footsteps on the roof above us. And, and suddenly we'd hear jingle bells. And from outside you can hear, Ho, ho, ho! On Dasher! On Dancer! On Prancer! On Vixen! Comet and Cupid! Donner and Blitzen! To the top of the porch! To the top of the wall! Now dash away! Dash away! Dash away all! Are you guys impressed that I know all the reindeer names? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. And, 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 and we'd get so excited that we would bolt out the door and we'd look up on the roof and there was nobody up there. <laughs> and we would just be so disappointed that year after year after year we'd hear Santa on the roof, but we never saw him. We never caught a glimpse of him. And every year, about five minutes after Santa would leave, our family friend Scott would show up at the door. And every year, he would say the same thing. You guys, you won't believe it. I just saw Santa on the roof. You just missed him. And I went, now, how come year after year, Scott gets to see Santa, but I don't get to see Santa? And then I went, oh. And the pieces started to fall together, church. And, and I had a lot of questions for my parents. What's going on here? What, what is happening? See, as we get older, our questions change, don't they? They get less silly, less juvenile, and they get a little bit more serious, right? Our questions move from questions about Santa, questions about what's under the tree, to questions about how am I going to pay for what's under the tree, and how am I going to keep my family from talking about politics and arguing as they come over for Christmas dinner, and then maybe you're asking the really big questions now. Maybe you've begun asking questions like, why is our world so broken and people suffer if God is so good? God is a good God. Why do people suffer? Maybe you're asking questions like, you know, why do I feel sadness and anxiety and depression so often in my life? When, when I read the Bible and I see that I'm supposed to be experiencing something else, maybe you have big questions. Maybe you're asking the question, what, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why, why did God create humanity? You're asking big questions now as an adult. And today's text is going to take us right into the heart of the questions that we bring into life, some of the bigger questions that we bring into life. And like I said, we've already talked about the Christmas story through the shepherds and and the eyes of Mary, but today we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read about the Magi or the wise men. So, what do we know about these Magi? What do we know about these visitors? And we don't know a whole lot about the Magi, actually. There's very little that we do know about the Magi. Uh, Pop quiz, how many Magi were there? See, our tendency is to say three, but the Bible actually never says how many there were. We have no idea how many wise men there were. We assume that there were three because there were three gifts. And so in all of our porcelain nativity scenes, we have one Magi carrying one gift. And so we assume that there were three wise men who traveled from afar, but we don't know how many There were. What else do we not know about these guys? We don't know where they're from. The Bible doesn't say where they're from. It says they're from the east. Some say that maybe they were from Persia or Yemen or India or Babylon. Others say as far away as China, but we're not 100% sure. We don't know where these guys came from. Were they kings? Again, we don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. (coughs) But the best evidence suggests that they were astrologers or members of a priestly religious class in Persia called the Magi, which means skilled magicians or astrologers. Now, when when I say a, a priestly religious class, these are not holy men. These are not Jewish priests. These are men who are involved in the wisdom of the occult. They are magicians, church. We think of these men as these noble Kings or these these righteous kings who come to pay homage to Jesus, but in fact they're astrologers. They're into tarot cards and horoscopes, and they're seeking the spiritual. They have questions about the supernatural. In other words, uh, they they were men or magicians who were interested in the supernatural, but they weren't necessarily priests, Jewish priests, or they weren't they didn't know God the way that Joseph and Mary knew God. And you know what God. His selection of characters in this story, it just fascinates me because number one, we have a young, unmarried, peasant teenager who has been selected to give birth to God's son. Like I said before, the first people that God has chosen to deliver his message about his son's birth is to these lowly, dirty shepherds in the middle of a field watching their sheep. This is who God has selected to to deliver the gospel message first and foremost. And now the next characters in the story are pagan astrologers, magicians who are following a star. We're introduced to men who have devoted their lives to the accumulation of occult wisdom from ancient Egyptians and Arabs and various pagan sources now there's a difference church i hope you heard me say they're astrologers they're not astronomers astronomy is science it's the study of the space it's the study of the gal- of the stars astrology is like i'm a scorpio or i'm a i'm a sagittarius i'm a horcrux that was a harry potter reference for those of you who didn't catch that but, but we, we, we assume, just as we read the story, we assume that these guys know what's going on. They know the, the prophecies. They know the story of God. But in reality, they are men who are interested in the supernatural. And the only reason that they're there is they saw a sign in the sky. They saw a star. They had questions. They wondered, what is that? What, what is, they, they knew that they were looking for the king of the Jews that was going to be born. But they didn't know what he was going to be like. They didn't know that if they were going to show up to a palace or they were going to show up to a stable. By the way, we, we, a lot of scholars would agree that, that the wise men showed up probably two or three years after the birth of Jesus. So he would probably would have been two or three years old by the time they arrived to give him the three gifts that they brought him. But they don't know what they're going to find. They have questions and they follow the sign in the sky. They were looking for an answer. Now maybe you're here today and... And you've sought answers elsewhere. Maybe you've gone to see someone in hopes that they can tell you what's going to happen. Or, or maybe you've checked your horoscope. Or, or maybe you're a reader and, and you've read books on spirituality or Christianity or atheism. And, and you just got questions. Maybe you don't do any of that stuff. But you still have questions. And at some point you want somebody to answer the question once and for all. Why am I here on earth? What's What's my purpose? And now if you can relate to this struggle, if you have big questions, then you and the Magi have something in common. You're looking for an answer. Let's see what the text says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. And we've come to worship him. Now, if you skip down to verse 9, it says, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Did you catch that? These men, they were just looking for a sign. They were looking for, they were looking for the, the, the person, they were looking for the answer to these, this question in the sky that they had. And so they followed it. Now you have questions about God perhaps and maybe you wonder why there's so much suffering in the world if God is so good or maybe you wonder about the whole creation and science question how those things go together or or why there are so many religions and what good do they do and there's pretty good evidence that these magi didn't know God the way that Mary and Joseph did they hadn't heard of the God of the Old Testament or obviously they, they didn't hear Jesus teach yet and, 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 and hear what he had to say in, in his life as he spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. They just had questions. Questions about life, questions about eternity, about God, about themselves. You know, I love that God did this in the story, though. is because here are some men that God has invited to come see Jesus, and they don't know anything about the Old Testament. They don't know about the prophecies. They're not familiar with Scripture, but God, nonetheless invites them to come and to see and to discover the person of jesus christ he invites all of us no matter where we are in life to come and experience jesus to come and see did you know that jesus when he brought his 12 disciples into the crew he uh he he made them belong before they believed did you know this that that if you read the gospels you see that there's this development that the disciples had of trying to understand fully that this is the Son of God. Yes, they knew in the beginning that he was a rabbi, they knew he was a teacher, but, but they still didn't, they weren't quite sure if this really was the Son of God until Jesus asks Peter, Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, well, people, some people say you're a prophet, some people say you're Elijah, some people say this and that, and then Jesus says, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Son of God. And there's this aha moment where he finally believes. But before he believed, he belonged. And Jesus invites everybody to come and to belong. To come and to experience the person of Jesus Christ so that their hearts can be transformed. Oftentimes in church, we want people to go and fix themselves. To go and get everything right. We want them to line up their beliefs the way that we believe at our church. And then we say, after that, you can come and you can belong to our family. You can come be a part of what God is doing. But... But God, instead, he invites people to come and to belong, to experience his love. And it's the love and the kindness of God that changes and shapes a person's heart. So you have these magi who come. They have no idea who Jesus is. They just got questions, and they're invited to come and experience the person of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. You've got... In this story, you see these magi who have traveled thousands and thousands of miles to investigate, to investigate the answer to their questions. So let me ask you this. Do you ever wonder what it would take to get an emotionally satisfying answer to the questions that you have in life? An emotionally satisfying answer to to why is there still suffering in the world if God is so good? Why does he allow certain things to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Could anyone ever say anything so powerful and definitive that it would settle the question once and for all? And often we live as though an answer to that question would resolve all doubt and it would make the world a better place. But here's another question for you. What if the answer to your deepest questions isn't an answer What if it's a person? This is what the Magi discovered, that the answer to their questions, it was a person. It was a child. It was Jesus Christ. What if the answer to your deepest questions is the person of Jesus Christ? Our world is looking for answers. This last two years has been a whirlwind, church. It's been crazy. Our world is experiencing, once again, uh, the, the, the evils of racism we're experiencing this polarizing animosity between people who disagree with each other we've experienced a two-year-long global state of emergency this pandemic that we're in people are looking for a better way to live they're looking for a people to show them what love truly looks like they're looking for answers but what they don't know is they're actually probably looking for the person of jesus christ in fact i know that's what they're looking for the world needs the person of jesus Look again at what happened to the Magi. When they followed the star, they found a child, and they worshipped him. You know, from a very young age, most of us realize that often when we want answers, what we really want is a person. Think of it. When you're five years old and you stub your toe, it's a person you want. It's, it's mom. You want mom to come and hug you and tell you that everything's going to be okay, right? You want a warm embrace. Often when we're looking for answers, what we want is a person. You know, when I was in college and I was feeling unsure and insecure and just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and I was scared because I'm out on my own for the first time, I'm struggling to pay the bills, I'm I'm eating top ramen, I'm I'm like, I'm just struggling, and I'm feeling like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? What I'm craving as a person. I want my dad to give me a call or I want a teacher or a friend to tell me that I'm doing a good job, that everything's going to be all right, that they're proud of me. Often when you have answer, when you have questions in life, what you're looking for is a person. What you're looking for is someone to tell you that everything is going to be all right. And when you've had a season of loss in your life, chances are you're looking for a little more than just an answer. You're looking for a person. In fact, in the most confusing times, having the right person walk into the room can instantly make you feel so much better and make you feel like everything's all right. When I'm having a rough week and when I'm having doubts and, and, and when I'm feeling shame and when I experience anger and it starts to creep inside of my heart and my head, sometimes all it takes is for my wife to walk into the room and rub my back and tell me that she loves me and give me an encouraging word. Sometimes it just takes a person. It's what we're looking for. What if the same is true with God? Maybe you think everything will be resolved and all your questions are answered, or at least when your big questions get answered. And I love this. Uh, there was a man named Frederick Beekner. He's a great pe- preacher and author. And he imagines God intervening in the universe in a supernatural way. He writes this in one of his quotes. He says this, Suppose, for instance, that God were to take the great dim river of the Milky Way as we see it from down here, flowing across the night sky, and he were to brighten it up a little. And then rearrange it so that all of a sudden, one night, the world would step outside and look up at the heavens and see not the usual haphazard smattering of stars, but written out in letters light years tall, the sentence, I really exist, or God is. Imagine that. What would happen if we saw that? Well, for a season, Frederick Beekner says that for a season, the pastors and churches who who knew that god existed all along they would be they would be would they would feel a confirmation and they'd say yeah i just knew that god exists thank you god for giving us a sign and, and 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 churches would overflow into football stadiums people would come flooding to the church from miles around because suddenly there is an answer in the sky they see that god really exists in this hush would fall over the world for a season. Crime might stop because people see that there is a God in heaven. And then Frederick Beekner goes on to say, but eventually, but eventually, someone out of all, after, after, after a season of that happening, after time come, going by, where God is maybe perhaps every night rearranging the stars to say new things, and he's given us new messages every day, every night we step out. Eventually, it would get old. Eventually, we would become familiar with it, and all it would take would would be one person, maybe a child, with the audacity of a child to say, so what if God exists? What what does that matter in my life? How does that affect my life? How do we know that this is true? Because we saw the Israelites do this, church. Is that you have a group of people who are led, they see these moves of god they see these 10 plagues right and and they're moved out of egypt and they get to the red sea and they see the sea part god really exists they walk through the water on dry land to the other side and they get into the desert and they're hungry and manna falls from heaven miraculously and quail falls from heaven miraculously and they're thirsty and moses strikes a walk and water flows from a rock and there's this pillar of fire that shoots down from heaven to where they're at and falls on the temple. And in the, in the heat of the day, they're shielded by a cloud. They know that God is there. They know that God exists. They know that God's hand is on them. But what happens? They still fall away. They still, they still go to paganism. They still build a golden calf. They still seek someone other than the true God. We think in our lives... And that if God were to do that, if he were to write messages in the stars or if he were to part the clouds and we would hear his voice audibly, that our lives would change. God, if it would make my life so much easier and God, the struggle of, of doubt and wondering if you're there, wondering if you're hearing me, God, it would just make it so much easier if you would just speak to me. If you would give me a clear message, if I could hear your voice audibly, if you could, if you could take stones and write a message with the pebbles on the beach, while I'm walking by God, then my life would change and I would devote my life to you. God, it would change my whole world. But we know that that's not true because the Israelites, they had all of these miraculous encounters with God, yet they still turned away. See, here's the thing, church, is that People don't need, they they need more than a God who exists somewhere out there in space. They need more than just a God who exists out there in the stars. They need a God who exists in your personal life. They need Emmanuel. We need Emmanuel God with us. We need to know that we have a God who cares about every single fabric of your life, every relationship, every tear that falls. We serve a God who is concerned with every piece of you, who formed you in your mother's womb, who knows you intimately, who has woven you together, and he cares about everything that you're going through. That makes all the difference, church. Not this God in the sky, not this God who's distance. Yeah, there's a God somewhere out there, but there's a God with us, Emmanuel. And he cares about you. And he loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. He invites you into a relationship with him. And that's the answer the wise men, the magi, found that night. The answer in the stars led them to a peasant family, a poor family, who were probably living in Egypt at the time, They led them to this, this boy, or maybe they, maybe, it, it led them, maybe they were still in Bethlehem at the time, we don't know, but, but it led them to this family, this young poor boy named Jesus. He was the savior of the world. They were looking for an answer, but instead they found a person, God with us. And maybe that's what you need right now. Far more than an answer, you need God with us. Maybe you're here, you need God with you. God with you in the heartbreak. You need God with you in the breakup. God with you in the mess of family. God with you in the sadness. God with you as you try to make sense out of the success and the meaninglessness that you feel. You need God with you in the strangeness of love in the midst of divorce. God with you in financial tension. God with you in challenge. You know what I realized this last week is in my devotions is I I compartmentalize my time with God. I think a lot of us do this, that we have our quiet time with God, right? We have our prayer. We have our devotions. We have this time that we've set aside for God. And then most of us go throughout our life and we switch gears and we get into work mode or we get into family mode or we get into this other mode, right? And it's time that's, that's not spent with God, but I, God, this, this last week was saying, invite me into all those things. Invite me into time with your family. Invite me into your workplace. Invite me into Netflix. What? Pastor, what? No, imagine this. Imagine... Imagine, you know, you, you've spent time with God in the morning, you've done your devotions, you've, you've had quiet time, you heard the Lord speak, and it's late at night, and, and, and you want to watch TV, you want to zone out. You know what? Don't, don't think that that time is separate from God. What if we had this relationship with God and said, God, I'm going to turn on the TV, but would you just be with me right now? Would you, would you speak to me maybe through the TV? Would you give me a message? Like, use whatever I'm watching. Maybe the Lord will convict you as you're watching TV. Maybe he'll, he'll convict you that you turn it off. But if you invite God into every season of life, if you invite him, invite him into every, every area of your life, God just wants to be with you. He wants, to, he wants to be with you all the time. He doesn't want you to separate those few minutes in the morning or at night for him, but he wants to be with you all the time. See, we get busy doing things for God that we forget that being with God is the greatest gift of all. Think about this, church. The moment you give your heart to Jesus, you are no longer an enemy of God. You are a child of God. And you have access to His presence. He's given you unlimited access to come and meet with Him, to have intimacy with Him. Intimacy with God, being with God, is the greatest prize to have ever been attained. But here's the thing, we we live our lives thinking that there's something else to have attained. We get saved and then we think, okay, if I just understand the secret of prayer, if I were to understand the secret of prophecy or the secret of healing, or if I were to understand a little bit more about this scripture or this passage, or if I I show enough compassion to more people, if I'm a good enough person, then, then maybe I'll have reached that destination. I'll have finally... I will have finally taken hold of the prize. But the truth is, church, is that you have already arrived. If you've said yes to Jesus, the greatest prize that you can ever attain is intimacy with him. Is to be with God. Being with God is the ultimate prize. Not doing things for God so that there's something else to attain. But being with God. Did you know that people who spend time in the presence of God have arrived? There's nothing left to win. You've hit the jackpot. The answer to all of your questions is found in Jesus. All of your desires and your dreams and your joy, all of it is found in Jesus. And my hope is that you don't leave this place without knowing that God is with you. And that today... God wants a response from you, a decision from you to be with him. He didn't just come to earth. He came for you. He came for the Magi. He came for Mary and for Joseph, for the shepherds. But he came for you. It was personal. How radical would it be be to believe that as Jesus left the throne in heaven to come and be born, that your name was on his mind? He was thinking, I'm coming for you. I want to be with you. I want intimacy with you. I don't want sin no longer to separate the two of us. So I'm going to come and be with you, live among you for 30-something years, and then die a criminal's death on the cross that I don't deserve all for the sake of knowing you better and for you to know me, for us to have intimacy together. If you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a few moments to admit your sins and your shortcomings, to believe in Jesus, commit your life to him. You know, tradition holds that the Magi, uh, they were so taken by this Jesus that they met and watched grow up. And, and he lived this exemplary life. He, they watched him die and rise again. That the tradition holds that these Magi eventually became devoted followers of Jesus. Today, God extends that invitation to you, that you're not alone. God is with you. Maybe the answer you're looking for isn't an answer. It's a person. It's the good news of Christmas. It's the good news of Jesus. You know, um, I, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to, to relate something else. Is that, you know, the, the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. There were three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. And I hope that you come on Christmas Eve. We're going to take communion together on Christmas Eve. I was, I was thinking about doing it today. Uh, but I, I wanted to save it for, uh, for, for Christmas Eve, for, for this Friday. And these three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold represents royalty or divinity. That's why most of the objects that were in the holy place in the tabernacle were all overlaid with gold. It represents kingship. These men were recognizing that this baby is the king of the universe. He's the king of the Jews. This is a king that they're they're coming to. And this gold represents royalty. Frankincense was worshipped to God. It was used, usually incense was used in the temple, in the holy place, at the altar of incense to worship God, to lift up prayers to God. And myrrh was used to prepare bodies for burial. I'm not sure if these men knew how significant their gifts were. I mean, who gives myrrh to an infant? Who gives myrrh to a child? Happy birthday. Welcome to the world. Here's something to prepare you for your burial. I'm not sure if these men knew how significant their gifts were. But the gift of myrrh foreshadowed the death of Jesus on the cross. And God's plan was to send Jesus to live among us and eventually pay the penalty of death that he did not deserve. Maybe today you're here looking for God to show you a sign. And you know what? Communion, the bread and the cup, when you hold those items together, there it is. There's your sign. That's, that's the sign that God has given you to, to show you. God has given us a physical sign to represent a spiritual reality that your sins have been paid for. That you have intimacy with God. You are invited to come into a deep, meaningful relationship with God. So many people are looking for a sign. And when you come on Christmas Eve and you hold those elements in your hand, there's your sign. That God, He sent His Son into the world to die for you, to bring you into an intimate relationship with Him. We want answers to our questions, but what we really want is we want a deep, intimate relationship with God. We want to be with him. We want him to fill our lives and fill our hearts and tell us and give us encouraging words and 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 show us his love. It's what we really want. We want the person of Jesus. Will you stand with me, church? We're going to pray as we close, and I want to extend an invitation, maybe for those who are here. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I, I, I want to, to extend an invitation for those who maybe you, you are here today and you don't know what an intimate relationship with Jesus looks like. And you're saying, I, I want this intimate relationship with Jesus. I want to know who he is. I want to know not just that God exists somewhere out there in the stars, but that God is here with me in my life, that he cares about me where I'm at. If that's you and you're in this place and you say yes, I want to say yes to Jesus for the first time. I want to invite him into my life. Would you just raise your hand? All the heads are bowed and the eyes are closed. Just raise your hand so I can see if that's you. Praise God. Jesus, I pray for your presence to fall in this place. I thank you for the gift of your son, for the gift of Jesus. I thank you that Lord, you came to be with us. And Father, I pray this Christmas as we are with our families or going off to wherever we're going to go to and maybe maybe there's going to be fewer people in our household this year. Maybe we've lost some people this year. Lord, I pray that your joy and your peace would fill our hearts to overflowing, that we would be overcome with the reality that you are with us, God. We're not alone. You did not abandon us. Lord, you want to have an intimate relationship with every single one of us. God, I pray for a blessing over everybody here. In your name we pray. Amen.